Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. We have big news this week, don't we? What would that be? Uh, you haven't been looking at the internet lately. No, something happened. Well, the presidential election in the United States has been decided, at least according to most people. Oh, who who was running? Who won? Uh, well, Biden won. Oh, is and and uh, and uh, Trump graciously conceded. No, Trump is digging his heels in. He's going out to play golf, and he's complaining that it's all rigged against him. Oh, really? Well, that, that this is going to go on for a few weeks, and uh, we better watch out what happens between now and January 20th, right? I just want to make one point before we get going. In our previous episode, when we were talking about elections, we were very careful not to talk about specific candidates. We were just talking about ideas, and here we're going to talk a bit more about the two candidates. Well, a little bit more, but I'm going to talk about reconciliation, because I just got off uh, just a few minutes ago, writing to an old college buddy whose uh, his his and I's relationship was affected by this election. And at one point I said, I love you, man, but I cannot take your idea. And he took that as a personal insult and basically unfriended me, unfriended me on Facebook and unfriended me in life. But I just wrote uh, an essay that said, look, we have to try to reach out and work together from here. Society has a lot of problems. We need to, to team up to do something. Look, let's put the political discussion off for four more years. And I like you, man. And uh, he's out. He said he's out chopping wood now, thinking if he wants to revise for the friendship, I hope he, he does. Because I think we can get past this. Well, I'm a cockeyed optimist. I hope we can get past this. You are. You see, I, I think about this a bit differently. I find it very difficult to easily reconcile with people who supported an administration that was willing to separate children from their parents and put children in cages, um, that banned people because they were Muslims from coming into the country, that called for violence against journalists, um, that was clearly racist and white nationalist. It's yeah. to me, I don't want to exaggerate, but I want to see Nuremberg trials. I want to see these people pay, unlike yeah, well, what usually happens with American politicians where they just walk away and get jobs as lobbyists or in think tanks. Well, let's let's look. Uh, I think people have caught on right now that I'm not exactly I probably no, I didn't vote for Trump. I think people figure that out by now. But I'm going to tell you um Amongst the people I know who did vote for Trump, I think it's a little too simple to paint everybody with one brush. What you said about some people's views, true. And I, you know, we can only go so far in saying, hey, buddy, you still have those views. And I know you're a member of the KKK, but I like you anyway. I'm not going to go that far. No. <laughs> but I don't think that that is not that <laughs> most of the people who voted for Trump. I do not believe are those people. 
Yeah, they may have views that are on the borderline of that. And you could say, yes, I don't like what they think about immigrants. And I don't like what they think about racial policy. And I don't think like what they think about gay marriage or abortion. But I'm going to say they are not bad people. They are a lot of them are there because they think it's right. And I don't agree. I don't like their views. But I think there is enough there to say these are not bad people. They're people who have some ideas that I don't like. And maybe we can work together. And, well, I'm willing to go only so far. But I think there's a lot to work with there. That's my view. Maybe I'm wrong. I I think the Trump voter... There's no one Trump voter because some of them are relatively poor white people in industrial areas who've who've lost their jobs, who've suffered from the opioid epidemic. Others are very wealthy people who just see tax cuts as the most important things. Right. A lot of them have been radicalized by a certain TV network and by conservative talk radio that's been around for decades. I think the main characteristic of the Trump voter is anger and grievance. And, and fear. They, yeah. They're just, well, everyone's afraid of something, right? But it's the anger that comes out. You know, one thing that I've noticed over the years, and I've seen this mentioned in a lot of articles, is Trump never laughs. Right. For someone to never laugh, that's a strange thing. Others have mentioned that he doesn't have a dog and every president's had a pet in the White House. And I'm not sure that that's a really good witness test. But the fact that he never laughs. Maybe he's got allergies. He's, I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's possible. But the fact that he never laughs, that he never shows any kind of joy. When you look at when you look at Biden and Harris, when you look at Obama, when you look at even George Bush laughed. I'm going to say this. Can we move past Trump? Really? It's time. Where we go from here? Trump is in the back. Well, he's not there yet, but he's going to soon be in the rearview mirror. Okay, but here's what worries me that the the movement of Trumpism is going to continue when Trump is out of the White House, that right. people are going to tap into this anger among this group of people. A very wise man I know told me recently that he sees the type of person that can pick up on this Trumpism and build it into something, I would say, less incompetent, because one of the, the hallmarks of the Trump administration was gross incompetence. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I hate to... Sometimes the humor is just too much. When there was supposed to be a press conference over the weekend with Rudy Giuliani and other people at the Four Seasons, but it actually turned out to be a gardening center called the Four Seasons, something located between a sex shop and a crematorium. That's just the incompetence that they thought they were getting the Four Seasons Hotel. So if you had someone who is competent, who talks maybe with a bit more respect, then this movement could take off and continue. Yeah, no, I'm I'm scared uh, four years from now when there is the rather well-spoken, intelligent, and uh, charming Trump, uh, kind of Trump without Trump's weaknesses. And I don't want to name any names. Let me just imagine a name, call him, oh, let's say he was on a TV network and his name was something like Hunter Carlson uh, for president. <laughs> and, uh, you know... He, who says the things that appeal to that crowd, but he's uh, obviously smarter and uh, more media savvy. That's uh, scary. Okay, but can we put that four years from now? Let's wait for that for a while. 
let's talk about today. Let's just remember when we start talking about reconciliation that as of today, when we're recording this on November 9th, 238,000 people have died from COVID-19 in the United States. Yes. And we need to work together to deal with COVID. Is that possible? Maybe not. But we have to try. Somebody said the difference between liberals and conservatives is liberals are willing to put out the olive branch and compromise and understand the other guy. And the other guy on the conservative side is not willing to bend an inch. And that's why the conservatives get a lot more done than the liberals who kind of bend over too easily. Is it true? Perhaps. But do we still need to try? I think that's the Buddhist value, to try to compromise, to try to understand. However, I think even the Buddha would approve of me saying this, we can only go so far in sacrificing our principles. We try to put out an olive branch, and if it's slapped away, then we stick to our guns, and we move for what we believe in. Another thing about the Democrats, I'd say the left in general, is that there are far more diverse factions. On the right, they tend to be more unified. And on the left, there's a lot of debate going on. And so you don't have as clear a direction. And and that means that when the left is in power, you have these debates. And, and it's it's a lively debate of different ways of approaching things. And when the right is in power, it's not just in the US, this is pretty much around the world. The, the right tends to be more focused. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to an article by a linguist called George Lakoff, who's written a lot about this, who's written about the mindset of conservatives versus liberals, that it's a very different mindset. Well, I think we're living in two alternative universes. And uh, frankly, I'm a little bit biased on this, but I think one has science, truth, and uh, clear thinking. And the other one is a little bit. Uh, formed by the media, uh, forsakes science, and uh, kind of believes uh, some crazy stuff. But I'm, you know, on the side I am. Even so, we have to reach out. Let me, let me give you an extreme example. I'm going to reach for the Nazi example. Can I go for the Nazi example? It has to come sooner or later, so you might as well it. has to come sooner now. or later. Okay. Brad Warner, my, my Dharma brother, was asked a question. And he answered very wisely. And he said, what would you do if a neo-Nazi came into your Zen group and wanted to practice Zazen? Would you chase him away because his views are hateful and he's a neo-Nazi? And then I started to think about this. What would I do? And I thought, as long as in the group he did not you know, profess his beliefs too aggressively, Okay, he came in politely. I know what he really believes. I would welcome him to come sit Zazen and learn about Buddhism. Why? I'd like to open communication with him and open communication. And not only open communication, but open our hearts. Maybe, you know, some understanding and change is possible. I have reason to believe that in our Sangha over the years, I've had a lot of people who say to me, you know, a few years ago, you would not have liked me. Practicing Buddhism and being here has really worked to change on me. I'm not the same person. And I know this is true. So I'm thinking that if we can open communication, we may not, you know, change everybody. But some people, you can change. Bridges can be built. We can come to an understanding. 
I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And for me, the, the limitation would be that the person does not express any of those views. And, and as you've written on the Tree Leaf Forum, we leave politics at the door. And right. the other requirement would be that he does not have any swastika tattoos, because just seeing them is an aggression to many people. Well, I know a guy actually who does, and uh, he covered most of them up, but he kept one to show people to that who he was, which I thought was very, That's very fair. good. Of course, the history of the swastika as an image goes back to India, where it was, what was it? It was the other direction, right? Um, right. That's, what exactly did it mean? We're the good swastika people. <laughs> yeah. It's the wheel, it's the wheel of the universe turning. You know? Right. Okay. Right. No, we're the good swastika people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but I agree. If As long as people, uh, I, I think it, it can be hard for a lot of people to change. And I think some people can change and not yeah. all can. And if people want to try to change to listen to others, then I would totally agree with that. And I'm only going to go so far. As I said, if a fellow came to me and said, well, you know, actually, I support, uh, I don't know. Uh, ethnic cleansing and i'm going to go well it depends how you do it i'm not going to <laughs> i'm not going to i'm not going to go so far to try to understand his point of view there are yeah. certain places where i say okay we can come to some understandings and but and then you get to a certain point that some beliefs are just so ugly so violent so discriminatory so uh greedy that we cannot go there buddhists cannot go there and yeah, uh, we, we that, cannot uh, approve of that. But I think there's a lot of gray area where a fellow might say, you know, I'm against immigrants because I'm worried about my job. Well, I would say in return, well, I think we need an intelligent immigration policy and to really understand the world situation. And why don't you have a job? And can we do something about that? He's not a racist. He's worried about his job. I don't think he hates immigrants. He just fears the foreign, perhaps, and he's worried about what they're going to do and take in his job. That's He is not the kind of guy who says, I just don't like Mexicans because they're a lesser human being. That's a very different thing. And that, again, I'm not saying that I approve of how he thinks of Mexicans, but I understand the pain he's feeling. And is there some place we can work there? And also, are the people who are voting for Trump because they're worried about their jobs, are they misled? Should they be actually voting for social policies that I support to get their jobs back or to improve their lives? So maybe if he understood my position more, he would feel better about it. That's one of the things that strikes me a lot, is that somehow they get convinced to vote against their self-interest. Uh, Trump has right. claimed that he wants to remove Obamacare which would eliminate health insurance for tens of millions of people in some of the states where Obamacare has been the most useful, particularly the states in the South, um, where people who need health care have gotten it. Because they've been sold on the idea that somehow it's socialism and communism, which they may not even understand what that means, but somehow that's bad. So the health insurance they actually need, they're against. Yes, they've been sold a bill of goods. And if we understand that they're not bad people, they're people who have been sold a bill of goods, maybe we can try to work something out. Maybe they can actually see that, hey, you want health insurance? Vote for, you know, this way. Don't vote the way you've been voting. Is there something that can be done? And uh, that's actually up to the uh, 
politicians to, to figure out how to get to those people and psychologists. I'm not equipped to say that. But I'm saying on a personal level, I have a lot of friends who I think are worried about the same things that I'm worried about in life, getting their kids through school, uh, just uh, the crime in their neighborhood, uh, where society's going. And they're just thinking about it differently. But I think we're actually thinking about the same social issues. Yeah, context has a lot to do with it. Where you live, are you in an environment? I, I think studies have always shown that people who live in an, in an area with more immigrants are more open to immigrants. It's the ones who don't see immigrants around them that are afraid of immigrants. I know that's the case here in the UK. For me, the, the biggest problem here is a combination of poor education and a, a sort of brainwashing that's occurred in the right-wing media. Um, if the United States had better education, people understood like what is socialism, right? If they understood what these words meant, these words wouldn't have the same power to scare people. You tell people who are elderly or who have parents that Medicare is socialism, they're going to tell you it's a lie, but technically it is socialism. I, I don't think it's a new issue, particularly. Some people say it's because of the, you know, the internet and the social media has made it worse, and that is quite possible. But I think if you went back uh, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, we talked about this before, uh, at least 100 years ago, uh, pe people were just as, uh, how to say, society was just as torn and confused, and uh, people seemed as ignorant or misinformed as, as ever. Uh, well, it's just more obvious now because of social media. So I don't think America is necessarily more divided now than it's ever been. Uh, we, we spoke about this actually last time, so no need to, to bring it up again. But where do we go from here and how do we overcome this? Uh, of the Buddhist lesson is you just keep trying. You know, you can't, that we take the vow. To save all sentient beings, though beings numberless. To end all delusions, though delusions inexhaustible. Well, we cannot fix all the problems, but we keep trying. There's always hope. This is just like the Thermidor Revolution. The Thermidor Revolution, as everyone knows, was after the French Revolution. The French Rev Revolution was a radical change in French society towards uh, democracy uh, after the monarchy. And it was going uh, splendidly until it got a bit uh, crazy and out of control. And then society swung back the other way and, uh, and went back to a very conservative way. That's what we're seeing in America. You know, you've had social changes. People, some people said, wait, it's too much. What's with this? Legalized marijuana? Gay marriage? What's going on here? Women are wearing pants? Uh, they're allowed that we, we're, we're letting ladies drive cars too much. Let's go back to the 1950s. Okay. There's a lot of that. I believe in Trumpism. A lot of people said too much, but what happens is now that Trumpism is done, society tends to swing back again to a middle way. So don't think that this is more than a, a reaction. I, I still believe that after this, this error is done, you know, we're going to go back to a, or civil society. I haven't given up hope. Well, okay. So we wanted to talk about reconciliation. So what's the next step now? As we've seen, we've seen the Nuremberg trials in Germany. We've seen in France in particular, after World War II, collaborators were treated um, quite seriously. A number of them were executed. No, we're not doing that. 
But something has to happen. It can't just be forgotten, say, okay, you know, it, well, it's our turn now and we can just ignore what you've done. No, we don't ignore it. But uh, rather than the Nuremberg trials, I would uh, point to the Reconciliation Commissions and the Reverend Tutu in South Africa, which was a much worse situation where people truly had been thrown into prison camps. You had apartheid. Uh, there were civil war, violence, and Tutu uh, said it. They did this in Rwanda, too, with the Hutus and the Tutsis. After all that violence, people said, hey, we went crazy for a while. Uh, so people would go to the commission. As I understand how it worked, people would say, this is what I believed in. The other one would say, uh, we, we understand what you did. We're not going to forgive it. We're not going to approve it, but we're going to move on from here. And it had a tremendous amount of success. I think we just have to, I'm sorry to say this, put it behind us. Bury the hatchet. We've got all these wonderful expressions in English. Water under the bridge. Yeah, I think, I think that the leaders of the administration deserve to be prosecuted. They've mm. stolen from the American people. The, the refusal to accept the seriousness of a worldwide pandemic has cost easily more than 100,000 additional dead than would have been otherwise. I'm not talking about prosecuting individuals who voted Trump. I'm talking about the leaders. They need to be made an example of because it, it's just been a criminal operation for four years. Look, if uh, a former president becomes a citizen, he's an ordinary member of society like anyone else. And if he broke laws, it would be, I think, even a good thing to prosecute to show that no one is above the law. But I'm not going to say that they've committed crimes against humanity. And frankly, I don't care about this so much as where we go from here. Uh, I think in Rwanda and South Africa, many crimes were committed, much worse crimes, true crimes against humanity. And what they decided to do was move on. It's hard. You're living next door to a fellow who may have murdered your own family member. These were the worst situation, living in the same town with people who may have done terrible things to your family. People somehow said, we're going to live together even then and move on. Now, what's happening in America is one-tenth of that. We can do it. So that friend of yours who you ceased relations with, how do you talk to him? How do you try and rebuild that friendship if you want to do so? How can you see common ground? Okay, well, I first off, I wrote to him, and, and seriously, I said, okay, we'll pick this up in four years. But it's something my grandmother said to me. She was the, the wise and master in my life. And she said, don't talk religion and politics with certain people, especially your Uncle Harry. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> Uncle Harry was a great guy, but you got him about on the subject of Goldwater and Eisenhower, and that was the end of the night. So you just uh, don't touch on those subjects, and you stick with the things that you have in common and why you like these people. And uh, you try to reach understanding something about where they're coming from and when you're coming from and work on the things that you agree on and work on them together. It's possible. 
if you dig into, for example, Kirk, you and I have nothing in common. I don't even really like you, but we somehow get along. I'm just kidding. I love you, man. <laughs> but uh, it's possible you can get on with Uncle Harry if you just uh, don't talk about it. I was thinking the other day, you know what a Venn diagram is, where you yeah. have two circles that overlap. Any time we have a relation with other people, it's just like we're two circles and there's just that tiny bit that overlaps. We don't know anything about their lives, unless they're family very close, but we don't know much about their lives, about the things that they think about when we're not talking with them. And it's like there is this proverbial tip of an iceberg that we see about people. And we don't know all the rest that's underneath. Well, I want to say uh, again that, I, I, you know, we're, we're recording this by next Tuesday. What I'm about to say could be completely untrue. But the amazing thing is, once again, an amazing thing has happened. The society has held together. It is unparalleled in human history what happened in the United States, or is almost happening, a little creaky that we're changing leadership peacefully. The process, with a lot of fighting, a lot of disputes, a lot of finger pointing, a lot of uh, childish behavior, yes. But there's a peaceful transition happening. On January 20th, there will be new leadership. Nobody, uh, except for a few people, is threatening violence. And most people are agreeing to disagree. That is not how history worked in the past, and this is a very good thing. We've come through a difficult time, and we're doing so, well, not with flying colors, but pretty darn well. Okay, where do we go from here? The future and uh, working together somehow. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating, tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.